Dave Williams presents Conversations.buzz. So let me just start right off by saying is my understanding that uh, the John and Ken show becomes the John Cobilt show on December 6th. Is that right? Our last John and Ken is December 6th. The first John Cobalt show will be December 12th. I'm going to go away for a few days in between. Who who retires on a Wednesday? It's the last day of the rating quarter. Oh, okay. See, I've been out of the loop for a little bit. He wanted wanted to make sure he got his bonus in. Of course. Of course, and who could blame him for that? Um, Were you surprised by his decision? No. Uh, he started talking about it 15 years ago and I was, I've been teasing him on the air all week and he goes, no, that's not possible. I said, well, no, I remember in 2008, you said you were going to move to Vancouver and either do the show out of Vancouver or retire entirely. And I know this because in 2009, I went on an Alaskan cruise with my family to Vancouver. And I remember walking around saying, why would you want to move here? <laughs> and then I found city, man. It is a beautiful city, yeah, but it just seemed like he was too young to retire to Vancouver. Yeah. And then uh, I, I looked through some old emails I had with a radio writer, and he, this writer had sent me in 2012, um, I hear a rumor that Ken is retiring soon. Is that true? <laughs> and it wasn't at the time, but even my, my son, who's in one of my sons, is in his mid-20s, and he said, Ken's retiring? He was talking about that when I was in elementary school. <laughs> so this is like- all fake. <laughs> almost like you can't believe it until it actually happens when you, right, yeah. when you go back in and he's not there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he talked about it a lot. Did he tell you before he told management? Yes. Only because I called him one day and I had a plan for us to do some broadcasts in January to cover the district attorney race out here. Uh-huh. And he said, well, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, I might as well tell you. But he hadn't told anybody yet other than maybe a few of his friends. But wow. So he guys, told me that. You guys have been together for so long. You you started out together in New Jersey. But you uh, before you got together, you were working separately as disc jockeys. Is that right? We met in Canton, Pennsylvania uh, in, in 1986. That was my first job. But I had left there a year early. I ended up in Elmira, which was 40 miles down the road. It was a a real market with ratings and everything. Uh, But it was, you know, I was making $180 a week. And I had a thing as I was bouncing around from radio town to radio town. I always got to have at least $750 in my bank account to buy a new junk car because my old junk car would die every year. So I didn't have the money at that moment. And I thought, I got to get it. I got to get some more income. Now, I was doing the mornings in Elmira at WEMY, which means I had a lot of time during the day to, to do another radio show. So I went back to my old station, WKAD in Canton, and they needed somebody to work in the evenings. So I did four hours in the morning from 6 to 10 in Elmira, then 7 to midnight in the evening, then drove back 40 minutes to Elmira, got there one in the morning slept a few hours, did the morning show. And I did this every day for three months, every weekday. Both both stations were okay with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were 40 miles apart and their signals didn't overlap. So <laughs> it wasn't an issue. And I saved the money I needed for, for the car. Well, Ken had replaced me 
in Canton at WKAD. So I showed up, I was following him and we got to talking and turns out, you know, we grew up in the same metro area in New York City. We both were huge fans of the big top 40 station in town, WABC. Favorite disc jockey was Dan Ingram. He brought in one day all the memorabilia he'd saved from when he was a kid, you know, top 40 surveys, right? Their, their, their hit surveys, sure. photos and things. And uh, we both grew up uh, with New York sports. And, you know, that's really all you need to connect with a guy. <laughs> so um, we, we got to know each other. And then in Elmira, all the disc jockeys hung out together. We were all from out of town. And so I knew there was an opening at the Crosstown station, WELN, for a morning sidekick sports reporter type of guy. And uh, I said to Ken, you should, you, should, uh, you should go for that. And then I told the program director and uh, there, I said, you should uh, look at Ken Champeau. Um, it, was, it was just an instinct. And then I heard him working as a team with this other guy on WELM. His name was John St. John who had a voice like Don Imus, but none of the material. <laughs> and I heard just casually the way Ken related to him. One day, one of my roommates, we had a drunken Saturday night in our apartment. One of my room, we were all talking about getting out of the water, right? It was going to be a jailbreak soon. Had to get out of there. And one of my roommates looked it up, pointed at me, pointed at Ken and said, you two, you two should be a, a team. As soon as he said that, I thought, yeah, that's right. And uh, we never worked together. We didn't have a tape together. Uh, but I pitched my owner of WEMY on hiring us as a morning team in Atlantic City. They had an oldie station that nobody was listening to. I said, let us do mornings. And I just wanted to get a tape together with Ken and I and then move on to somewhere else. Uh, so Ken said yes. Eventually, they said yes in Atlantic City. And uh, we, we, we started there. And that would be January 11th, 1988. It was only instinct I had. It was instinct. It was kismet. I mean, yeah. it, 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 at some point, don't you feel like there were forces working behind you and, and moving you into place with somebody like that? <laughs> yeah, I, I look at, uh, you know, a handful of decisions because we, I picked Atlantic City only because our, our owner had a station there and it was a station in need. Ken had an instinct. Six weeks after we got there, I met my wife. And, you know, we've been married to her for the last 31 years. So in a six-week period, I ended up with a lifetime radio partner and a lifetime uh, life partner. And it just all fell into place. And there could have been a hundred other decisions that any of us made in life and everything would have turned out differently. But That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to feel real lucky. All right. Let me, let me go. Let's go back to uh, this big change coming up for you. And... Uh, uh, I, you know, I know you, you've been in radio for a very long time and uh, you know what you're doing and you know who you are and you're comfortable with yourself on the air and all that. But still, there must be a little bit of, I don't want to say insecurity, but are you nervous at all about making this change and going into uh, the show without Ken? A, a tiny bit in that, but it's the, the, the kind of nervousness that feeds your performance. Yeah. You know how you could take that adrenaline that's going on inside and then use it. Yeah. You could use it to enhance your performance, right? And so 
I, I remember the first day of KFI in 92, uh, my heart rate was probably beating triple. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I heard a clip the other day because we've been going through old clips. I heard a clip of the first introduction on KFI, first hour we did. And I re- first thing I remember was my heart was just going <laughs> insane, like it was going to explode. So there'll be, a, there'll be a little bit of that, but that, that, that's a good thing. You know, it, it focuses me. It energizes me. What can we expect from you? What are you going to be doing by yourself? Or are you going to be doing it by yourself? No, they, it, I'm going to, I'm not going to have a co-host. I, I do have a, a good newswoman in Deborah Mark and she's her own crazy personality. I know her. Yeah. Uh, and also we, we, our producer, Ray Lopez and Ray and Ken and I have been together 24 years and you, he was your producer too. Yeah. Poor, poor Ray. <laughs> it was a long story. We won't go down that path, but what a terrific guy. What a he's great, a guy. great worker. Well, yeah. he, he survived you. He survived us. And he's got this idea of just getting some of these people we've had on the air before. Some of them are going to be new contributors, people in the news business, people in the Sacramento business, you know, various yeah. polit- political things. And we would just have a, a rotating series of people coming and so I could discuss things with them. It'll be all centered on news stories. It's not going to be any hangout radio screwing around. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be a, a slightly adjusted version of what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm not going to have the back and forth with Ken. I'm just going to have back and forth with maybe a dozen different people broken up over time. And we're going to see which people respond because I, I want it to be entertaining. I want it to be fast paced. I don't want anybody to be drawn. I mean, Ken and I were very quick paced when we talked. Yeah. As a first complaint when we came to Los Angeles, this guy, you guys talk too fast. Yeah. It's like, well, we're East Coast people. East Coast people talk too fast. Yeah. You got to listen faster. Well, as you as you well know, Ken and I talked about this yesterday, about uh, how it's different uh, working with one person, with working with another person or working by yourself, especially somebody who you've been teamed with for so long. You get to the point where where you know each other so well. You can sense your timing. You can almost finish each other's sentences, and sometimes you can do that. And now it's a whole new game. No matter how long yeah. you've been in it, and and how good your craft is, it's a it's a new it's a new thing for you. The one thing is, we rarely took vacations at the same time. Yeah, because I had three sons, and I was locked into their schedule. So spring break, I I, I would go on a vacation summertime in between their camps and schools i'd go on a vacation and ken didn't have kids so he wasn't it was not fair to tie him to my 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 kid's schedule basically right Mm -hmm. where he could only take those weeks off and eventually i told you know program directors i said look well if if we take separate vacations the whole year you get 52 weeks of john and ken or john or ken yeah. You don't have to have any weeks with uh, a guest host. So it's yeah. better this way. Yeah. Cuz it's all family, right? And so all right, one week John's here alone, one week Ken's here alone, and that worked out really well. So yes. I've done 4 or 5 weeks a year by myself already since forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it might, it makes all the sense in the world. You, you mentioned in passing when I was at KABC, they were doing this thing where they said, uh, "Tell you what, we uh, when it's uh, time for one of you to go on vacation, you both need to be gone. 
because people want to, you know, people want to hear you both. So, I mean, that didn't make any sense to me. And so, wait a second, what you're saying essentially, what I'm hearing is that we're each going to get twice as much vacation because when she's gone, I got to be gone about, you know, and they said, well, yeah. And I said, that's, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. no, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and uh, eventually it, it wasn't an issue. Yeah. You know, occasionally they tried pairing us up with any other random hosts that were floating yeah. around. And it's not like it was bad, but to have to suddenly tailor your rhythm. Right. Another person, you know, it's like suddenly dating someone else in the middle of your marriage. <laughs> you know, it's just not quite as smooth as, as, it, as it could be. So I just said, let me do this by myself. I know how to do it. Ken knows how to do it. You know, De- De- Deborah perks up a little more when uh, one of us is gone. She'll, she'll, be a little more involved and uh it never was a problem there are a lot of radio management issues that are really not issues as you probably know they have to have problems to fix yeah i mean i i I have no interest in in hearing about research i have no interest in hearing about you know focus groups or anything like that because you you never there was no research that put ken and i together right we didn't have a focus group voting on us I just instinctively, instinctively knew we had a natural chemistry because we knew each other for two years. You know, we were running around in Elmira as best as you could run around in Elmira with all the other radio guys. So he knew me uh, in another way. And and you can't you you can't reproduce that in a laboratory. Um, so I, I like to go by spontaneous, organic, instinctive decisions. Makes all the sense in the world, thing, you know. Like you said, you know, have all these issues that people bring up, and it's like, you know what? That really doesn't affect me. You know, what really, really used to always grind me was was the program director and going, "Okay, now remember the ratings start tomorrow." And I think, so what? Now I should be good. Is that what you're telling me? I, <laughs> I should really make an effort now. And I was like, you know, what what is the point of that? Um, yeah, see, I, I never looked at things that way. We we, yeah. we just went right to the wall every single day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I want to talk about those issues and, and the, the types of things that you've done that have been much different than uh, most talk shows, certainly much different than, than even local talk shows. But I want to go back, just for a moment, I'm interested in in your relationship with Ken because it's wor- because it has worked so well for so long. I had two longtime partners in my career, and uh, in both cases – I would call them friends. I would say, these are my friends. We gotten to know each other in the way that I described. We knew how to work together. It got to a point where we were very smooth. Uh, you know, we would feed each other a straight line and that kind of stuff. But in the end, the, the friendship never really went beyond the studio, uh, where we were working. Occasionally we'd, you know, have some social event or something together. But, but the, 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 the friendship and there's the professional relationship and, uh, they, they always kind of stayed separate. Is that you and Ken too? Do you ever uh, hang out together? Not as, not as much as we used to. And partly it's because I ended up with a wife and three kids yeah. and he did it. So, <laughs> you know, he lived at the beach and I lived, oh, I don't know, uh, 15 miles north of him. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just life circumstances. You're, you're different in your forties and fifties than you are in your twenties. Right. Yeah. With the way your life is set up. But yeah, we, we saw each other every day. I mean, we were, our show was four to five hours long. Right. 
for most of our, our run, in addition to seeing each other for a half an hour to an hour beforehand. Right. Well, that was way more time than I was talking to my wife. Exactly. And with, with these, uh, you know, eight minute commercial breaks that they invented, um, we'd have a lot of time in between segments to screw around and talk and, you know, discuss whatever yeah. was going on in our lives. So it, it, the, the friendship was ongoing while we were radio partners. It mm-hmm. was simultaneous. Yeah. I right, never let's, talk, to let's talk about subject matter. Uh, most most talk shows, certainly these days, most talk shows are uh, strictly geared to discussing politics and national issues, which is entirely different than the way it started out. Uh, yes. Talk radio started out in the, what, 70s, 60s, 70s, I guess. And uh, everything was very local and very mild. And you didn't hear anybody get upset about anything, or if they did, they were trying to be very, uh, you know, very polite about it. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys went different direction and full steam ahead. I mean, full bore. As far as I know, you you were the original brash, loud. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is a serious problem, and we're going to fix it. But the thing is, and I was talking with Ken about it yesterday is there was never, and I heard you guys a lot that 12 years I was in LA, there was never an ounce of phoniness about your your show. And by that, I don't, I'm not talking about putting on airs. I'm talking about the way you talk. Uh, there was there was never any, um, you know, we used to talk in the newsroom a lot about cops, cop talk or news speak or, you right. know, the, the idea that you're, that you're talking there, you're in addressing an audience. And so you try to sound a little smarter by using big words or fancy cliches and stuff like that. And you guys just tell it like it is straight ahead, straightforward. It's there's never any, anything that can be misunderstood. And uh, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing act and I've never seen it done anywhere else. How'd you come by? Yeah, well, we, did, we transferred our, our natural selves on the radio. Like, there, again, the way, the way that there was no real break between our professional and personal relationships, there was no break, dividing line between our private personas and our public personas. Obviously, you get on the radio and you lean more towards your more performative side. Right. But that is me off the air, too, if I'm telling a story or I'm getting outraged about something in the news you know, it's it's the same guy. It's just you dial up or dial down different proportions of your civil side versus your performative side. How did you manage to uh, how did you decide to focus as much as you do on local issues and uh, state issues and uh, the, the politicians and the bureaucrats that involve people where they live and with the real problems that people in the neighborhood are having as opposed to, you know, what's going on in Congress. When, when we started in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey 101.5, which was a combination talk oldie station on FM, brand new station, went on the air in March of 1990. We got there in May. And the idea was you would play a record, set up a topic, play another record and take phone calls. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, while we were just starting up in just a few weeks, I think six weeks into our run there, uh, the governor and the legislature in the middle of the night raised taxes on everything. It was billions of dollars worth of taxes. It was the largest tax increase in the history of 
any state. And so we, we, we got a copy of the budget. And when you go through a budget, you could find all sorts of nutty stuff that they're spending the money on, sure. you know, you know, sex research on goldfish and, and things of that nature. So we started picking that stuff up and just making fun of it. Right. Well, a guy called in a postal worker named John Budsash. I still remember. And he goes, well, you guys are having a pretty good time with this, but I'm really getting angry because they had raised sales taxes and income taxes. They, they raised a tax on toilet paper, which turned out to be a huge mistake. Wow. And so Ken said to the guy, well, what what, what are you going to do about it? And he goes, you know what? Anybody else upset like me? Call. Here's my phone number. Gave his phone number out on the air. This is pre-cell phones, pre-internet, right? He just gave out his home number. Swear to God, 10 days late, 10 days later, it's right before the July 4th weekend on that Sunday, 10,000 people showed up in Trenton. Many of them waving rolls of toilet paper. I'm standing on the back of a pickup truck, you know, shaking my fist in the air against the evil government. It was Jim Florio. He was the governor. And this thing just took off like wildfire. Uh, And it it turned out that for all the political coverage that you could find in New Jersey and New York and Philly, all those markets, television and the newspaper columns and all, nobody was talking about what the audience cared about the most is that they were paying huge taxes and now they're taking more in the middle of the night after Florio had promised he wouldn't do that. He made an explicit campaign promise. And it wasn't that we were Republicans or conservatives. It was, we were reflecting that people had had enough and they felt they were lied to. And now you're taxing our toilet paper. And it was just one of those, I guess it, nowadays it would be called a viral moment. It's one of those things that just exploded. Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. We had never done a political show. We'd never done an issues-oriented show. We were top 40 DJs when we left Atlantic City. And, but suddenly, you know, the big light bulb goes off. You don't have to be a genius to see which way you ought to point the show. So we started steering the show into not so much politics, but what are they doing that affects your day-to-day life, which right. is a huge difference. Yeah. You know, you know, we, you know, I, I turn on the radio now and I hear guys analyzing the speaker of the house and how many votes that he get, you know, in order to get cloture on a bill. It's a, nobody cares about that stuff. Yeah. What they do care about is what's going on inside their house, inside their life. And so that was the key moment. And, and it turned out to be a path that nobody else was taking. So how are you going to handle uh, round two of of uh, Trump versus Biden <laughs> and the and the ongoing the ongoing never ending uh, legal problems concerning the now ex president? I mean, you know, a, everything goes around and comes back. Farce. Hmm? It's a comic farce. I mean, it's it's it, it's it's so silly you can't even parody it. It's it's unprecedented, irrational. Just nuts. We've got a, one guy who's nuts and one guy who's senile. And that's, you know, so you, you, you just, you just got to like enjoy the circus, I suppose. And, and we, we don't talk about it much these days because yeah. everything that has been said about those two has been said. Right. There's very few minds that are going to be changed. And really neither one of them is doing anything right now to make, again, a person's individual life better. What I don't understand about this issue in particular, 
but kind of everything that goes on in Washington, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, is why doesn't it ever change? Everybody's mad. Everybody wants a big change. Nobody goes into the voting booth and makes it happen. And I'm, I'm curious also about what kind of changes you might have uh, detected in your audience over the years and whether uh, social media has had an effect, whether the changes we've seen in uh, the, the, I think, the stronger bias among the news media and, and how, how that has changed our society and culture. And, you know, are we really doomed here or is it just uh, life yeah, going probably. on? Yeah. I think doomed is a good word. <laughs> I, I noticed about a little over 10 years ago, once uh, social media became popular, Facebook, Twitter at the time, uh, people were less engaged with the radio show, less engaged with the politics. They were listening, but they weren't uh, as easily motivated to do anything about it. Uh, their, their attention was now fractured in too many different ways. And I started looking at people just walking by me, coming out of the elevator, right? The elevator opens up in the lobby, and I see seven, eight, nine people, and they're all staring at the phones. And sometimes in the elevator, I'd stand and look over their shoulders. What, what are they reading? What are they? And they're looking at texts, or they're scrolling through Instagram. It was just all nonsense. Yeah. And, and so when you see that every day, and this is going on for several years, you realize, no, this is life now in America, and I guess around the world, is everyone is just scrolling, looking at nonsense, engaged in idle chit-chat in their texts, and reading idle nonsense in all the various feeds. And I could tell that most people don't know, most people don't know much about anything. There's much more ignorance of what's going on. And they, they, but what's replaced it because of the internet is they identify themselves as a member of a party, very sympathetic to a party, very sympathetic to a philosophy. It's I am a liberal Democrat. I am a conservative. And then that's, that's the end of their thinking. analysis. Yeah. yeah <laughs> thinking, right? So, it, 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 they, don't, they don't want to get into the nuances of the decisions anymore. They'll go along with anything that the candidates, no, they'll go along with what, whatever Republican candidate is there, that's who they're voting for. Whatever Democratic candidate is there, that's what they're voting for. And the candidates have tended to be more and more extreme, but it doesn't matter because people aren't paying attention. It, they have no interest in it anymore. Yeah. That's, that's the way I feel about it too. I think people don't care. People care, but they can't be bothered with it. And frankly, we feel like it doesn't not going to make any difference anyway. What we say or do, uh, people that go to Washington are going to do what they're going to do. And uh, so, you know, we've got all these lovely distractions now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, when it comes time, we do pretend to be involved, but we're we're just not so much. So, how is this all going to end for uh, for for your medium, radio? And for your career, and what else would you like to do? I'm I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy doing the show. We still have enough people interested, and um, I at this point, if if I change the focus of the show, I'd, I'd lose everything. Sure, people know what they want to hear when they come on our show in terms of the content, in terms of the type of uh, subject matter. So I'm going to keep giving it to them. I can't control. 
the distractions of social media. I can't control that there's a thousand other things to listen to, a thousand other things to watch. There's nothing I can do. I know how to do this. I'm going to keep doing this. And if I'm the last guy standing, then I'm the last guy standing, you know? <laughs> so, I, 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 I keep my stress levels down by always being aware of what I cannot control. Yeah. And uh, certainly that's the whole world. That's, uh, that's the secret to it. And then you get to come home to your, your lovely wife and you get to see your sons once in a while. And you've got a, you've got a life where you can just mm-hmm. leave it all downtown. Right? Yeah. I mean, the things I like to do in life the most is read. So that dovetails with the job really well. Yeah. The more I read, the better I do the show, the more information I have. And for the people out there who want the information, who want to know the nuances, who want to connect the dots, that's what I find that we're, we've done more and more of. Rather than just lay out the obvious issue, a news story, you start connecting it to um, you know, other issues and other stories. Like there's a pattern of behavior here. You know, whether it's with politicians or how they're screwing up the justice system, this is part of a larger philosophy that they have. And they don't make it explicit, but it's been kind of an insidious movement that's gone into government, that's gone into the media, that's gone into uh, law enforcement and whatnot. And it's, you know, there's there's a real underground revolution that has changed life a lot for normal people. And so what we've been trying to do is explain it, that you're not crazy. These changes have happened. It's not a conspiracy theory. It really, we have a lot of people in power that you don't even know what they do or or their names, but they have a, their philosophy has a great impact on your life. I have no doubt you're going to do just great by yourself or whoever you're dealing with. You have that, you have that passion. And uh, it's so great to see in somebody who's been doing it for so long with such a high degree of success and, uh, you know, you got every reason in the world to sit back and rest on your laurels, if that's what you say. And, and with Ken going, you could have done it easily and going, yeah, I guess I'll stop too. But life would stop Just being a- fun, wouldn't it? What? what? I said life would stop being fun for you too. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm just not there yet. I mean, yeah. he's five years older than I am. Maybe that's got something to do with it. But I've been working in some way since I was 14. Uh, and and doing things in the media since I was 14. I used to uh, report uh, local high school sports events to the local papers and get paid $4 a phone call. And I did that going back to sophomore year of high school. So uh, it's, and I worked at a newspaper for five years as a writer and and an editor in the sports department, and then went to radio. So, uh, I, you know, I haven't had nothing to do since I was probably 13, 14 years old. So I, I'm just not this. My, my dad, you know, my dad was a Polish immigrant. He was captured by the Nazis when he was 11, taken into a German farm camp, eventually escaped, drove trucks for the English army when they reconstructed Europe. In 1950, he comes to America, meets my mother, and then works in factories for nearly 50 years till he was 72. Heavy duty blue collar labor factories. And he didn't know much English and he didn't say much, but I must have absorbed a tremendous work ethic from him because that's all I saw him do is get up in the morning, go to work, never complain. I mean, he had every reason to claim to be a victim, every reason to say that he was oppressed because he was literally oppressed and literally enslaved. Rarely talked about it, never complained about it, just went to work every day. And I guess that that hardwired me to get up and go to work. Fill your day with something productive.